Welcome to this special episode of Simply Disciples. Today, we are going to spend some time discussing questions that we received during this first season. And we did receive quite a few questions, and that's encouraging because uh, people are actually listening. Yes. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. It's more than just my mom. I know, and me, <laughs> in the shower. I love listening to myself. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> my uh-huh. name is Aaron Ellis, and today I will be playing the role of host as we walk through some of these questions. And I am joined today by Pastor Daniel Nealon, lead pastor of Deer Creek Church. Good to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. Can I start off with a question? Yeah. Okay, because it's a question and answer show. My question is, Aaron, what did you go to jail for? Oh, <laughs> I did get nervous about that because I was thinking, wait a second, I'm supposed to be the one ans- asking all the questions here. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, I was with my roommate, and uh, uh-huh. we got in an argument, and I, uh, I took a knife. <laughs> and I cut the tag off of my mattress. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. No, you're not supposed <laughs> to do that. The, the feds swarmed our apartment. Oh, golly. Actually, uh, I had um, uh, an unpaid, or uh, what? I don't know how you would describe it. I got pulled over for uh, like a blinker issue, and um, I didn't have my insurance on me, and oh. uh, I lost it in my car. So he gave me a warning. The next day, I was cleaning up my car, found the insurance, and thought, oh, that's great. I got it. I put it back in my car. I'm good. I, little did I know. Really, I did not know. I was 20 years old. I had no idea that I was actually supposed to take that back in and show it to the judge with the warning, and then he would have written it off and been fine. But what happened was I totally failed to do that, and then that's a failure to appear in court. Oh, no. That's the consequence. Did a bounty hunter come after you? Yeah, then there's a warrant out for your... Was it dog bounty hunter? (laughs) Dog came right to my door. (laughs) Oh, no. Mullet and all, and wow, man, it was pretty nuts. I think I remember that episode. Yeah. (laughs) But that is seriously what happened. Yes. Wow. (laughs) uh, All because of a a blinker. It, yep, that's it. The end. Great <laughs> yeah, question. Good question. <laughs> All uh, right. But in all seriousness, hey, we actually have some great questions. And um, Daniel, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just uh, just start ticking through these. I'll ask yep. the questions. And um, our first one is, uh, it's, it's an exciting one. And actually, you know what? It's a common one. This is something that we face pretty often as, as pastors and being in ministry, people reading through scripture. They get to Genesis chapter six and they read verse four and they start to wonder, well, what in the world were the Nephilim? So our first question is, who were the Nephilim? And the second half of that we can address later, which is, was Goliath uh, one yeah. of the Nephilim since he was a giant? So who were the Nephilim? Yeah, good question. And I say it's a good question because uh, I don't know if anybody really knows. So this is uh, something about when you do read the Bible, we are going to come across certain things that are puzzling that we don't have immediate answers for. And then when we you know, continue to search the Bible, there's not a lot of reference to that thing that we found strange. So Nephilim these are a perfect example of this. So the the reference comes from Genesis chapter 6, and it reads that the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, talking about the time of Noah, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So just based on this verse, uh, it's a little bit cryptic as to who the Nephilim were. We know that they were around during the time of Noah. We know that uh, 
They were considered mighty men of old, men of renown, probably meaning something like warriors or something like that. Uh, but the term is uncertain. Uh, it occurs only at one other time in all the Old Testament. It's Numbers 13, verse 33, when the spies are searching out the promised land. And it denotes this group of people living in Canaan. So if you're looking at Genesis 6 and Numbers 13, if both are referring to the same people, then the Israelite spies are probably expressing their fear of the Canaanites by saying, oh, they're like the ancient men of renown. They're kind of, they're like the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's probably happening is uh, that a lot of times we can read Numbers 13, 33, where they're saying these are mighty men, they're giants, and we're like grasshoppers. And what we're doing is we're probably reading that back into Genesis chapter 6. So all of that to say, all we really know are the Nephilim were mighty men, they were warriors, and they contributed to the violence that filled the earth during the time of Noah. Outside of that, what I would caution people about this idea of the Nephilim is that a lot of times people will take a square inch of biblical data and build a mansion of theology on top of it. Mm-hmm. So there are two verses in all of Scripture that mention the Nephilim. Yep. Yeah, I know there are books published today that are bestsellers yeah. that talk about the Nephilim as if it is the clearest thing in Scripture, that um, we can know all this stuff about them. And I would just say, I think that's more sensationalism. Yeah. And that's more... Uh, innate human curiosity than it is actually grounded in the Bible. So my uh, answer to this would be, we're uncertain. We know they were mighty men. They uh, contributed to corruption on earth. Beyond that, I would say anybody who says more than that is probably making something up. I think some of the confusion comes from the fact that uh, the the word actually in Hebrew means fallen ones. That's what mm, yep. that means. Yep. And then uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what happened is they used uh, the the Greek word for giant, gigantos, yeah, right? right. Yep. And so, the, you know, in English, just giants. And so there's a lot that got read back into that's that right. through a translation mm-hmm. uh, that's not necessarily helpful. And it's not necessarily faulting the Greek translation necessarily, no, no. but it's more faulting our imagination totally. and the sensation that we want to get out of that um, when we see entire works and books written about the Nephilim. That, totally. like, like you said, we really don't know that much. But y- y- I agree. You're right. The clearest understanding is they were just simply mighty men. Yep. And, you know, Goliath wasn't one. Um I think right. we can say that pretty certainly. Yeah. Um, again, that's reading, oh, well, you know, the Greek translation translated this gigante. Yep. So these are giants in the way that we mm-hmm. understand that today. And Goliath was a giant. Therefore, he's a Nephilim. Yeah. I'd say there's a lot of uh, false premises in that. Right. And again, anybody who says that with certainty, uh, I, I don't want to sound harsh, but I think they're just kind of making stuff up. Sure. So. Yep. No. Agreed. Yep. yep. So, um, uh, Goliath was a Philistine, and he was just a very tall one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's right. <laughs> very large. All right. So, uh, next question. Question number two: Does God treat Satan as a foe, or as a disobedient, petulant child? Yeah. Good question. Uh, the answer is definitely he is God's foe. He's a murderer from the beginning, a liar. 
let me give you just like a thumbnail sketch of Satan. So Satan is a spiritual person. He's not a principle, a symbol. He's not a force or kind of a mythological concept. He is a real being. He's active. He's working. He's speaking. He's deceiving. He's tempting. Those are all words uh, or verbs associated with Satan in Scripture. Paul calls Satan Belial in 2 Corinthians, and that term contrasts Satan as basically the absolute antithesis of Jesus. So whereas Christ is God's anointed, his righteous one, he's a king of light, Satan alternatively is described as a lawless one, the prince of darkness, uh, just as Jesus is the head of the kingdom of God, Satan's the ruler of this world in this present evil age. He's the one behind the sinful patterns of this world. Uh, just as Christ is head of the church and the heavenly host, so Satan is the prince in the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work of the sons of disobedience. So those are all just references to Scripture in Ephesians 2, John 14, 2 Corinthians 4, and others. Uh, and then when the Bible speaks of the work of Satan, uh, Scripture speaks of him as Abaddon or destroyer, uh, as the destroyer Satan and his demons bring destruction and terror, uh, and terror upon God's good creation and perverting God's light, turning it into darkness and wickedness. And Satan also uh, tempts, incites violence, incites sin, incites disobedience. He is called a liar, so he's, he's kind of the, the force of intellectual confusion and distortion and personal attacks on uh, followers of Christ. So all of that is just a brief thumbnail sketch of who Satan is and what he does. And when you take all of those references together, I think you come out with one conclusion. No, he's, he's God's foe. Um, not even close to as powerful as God. He's a creature. He's limited. He's not all powerful. But nonetheless, he seeks rebellion against God. He's the antithesis of Christ. And for that reason, uh, it'd probably be way too generous of Satan to say, oh, he's just a disobedient, petulant child. Yeah, just wayward. Yeah, just a yeah. wayward child. No, no. Yeah, he's in full-blown rebellion, God's enemy. Uh, question number three. When looking for books and reference material, how do you know what to trust if you don't know authors or reasons behind various Bible translations like the TNIV, RSV, and the NLT? So um, this sort of has two... Um, Two two questions. There may be yeah. two layers to the question. Yeah. So about the ref the the resources, the books and reference material, and I assume that's asking about um, material to help study the Bible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how would you yep. say that? What, what what would you say to that? Like if we're we're studying the Book of Acts right now, what are some areas, places you might point somebody um, to help further their study? Yeah. I'd say come talk to you. That helps. Aaron Ellis? Yeah. I, I'd say yeah. come talk to Daniel. Or, yeah, I, my, myself. How about okay, this? I'll, have, yeah, yeah I'll how about just talk to, talk to a pastor? Sure. Just talk yeah. to one of us. Come talk um, to one of us, and, and you're right. Yeah. Yep. There, uh, you know, there are a lot of resources out there that are just not good. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of just not great stuff out there. And I, I would say you can work really hard to become an expert in discerning what is good and what's not. The best way to do that is to know the Bible really well. Yeah. And, and, um, 
to the second half of this question, and, and we'll get more mm-hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. But um, the the bad material and and the quote good material, you know, on either side, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily related to the Bible translation. Oh no, right? Yeah, somebody can have yep. you know a, a, our favorite Bible translation. Somebody could be could be using that and still have really bad commentary totally. and bad reference material on that. Totally, totally. Yeah, I would say all of the uh, translations mentioned there: ESV, NIV. NLT, they have different translation philosophies, but I would say on the whole, they are, all three of those are very reliable, very trustworthy. There's this basic difference and uh, in translation philosophy between an, an essentially literal translation mm-hmm. versus kind of a thought-for-thought translation. Right. So, so, th- so sometimes a literal translation people call word-for-word, word, yep. or um, uh, the other term is... Um, uh, uh, well, it's, it's escaping me. Or like wooden, that's that's yeah, another good wooden. one, like a yeah. wooden translation. <laughs> yep. Or technically, it's actually called a formal equivalent um, you if you're looking yep. for the more technical terms. Mm-hmm. and um, But the, the thing with those, just want to add a little commentary of my own yeah, there. The yeah. problem with that is um, there really isn't such thing. This is where I quibble with the word-for-word translation yeah. piece. Um, yep. There really isn't such thing. As a word for word transla- translation, there there isn't a uh, there there isn't always an exact translation from Hebrew to English or Greek to English. Yeah, uh, there there is a lot of um, you know just assumption and, and trying to fill in the blank there and trying to understand what's going on as a whole uh, in order to piece it together so it makes sense in yeah. in the English translation. So that's why I prefer calling it like wooden or or um, formal equivalent. But uh, yeah. Yeah, th- those would include yep. uh, translations like the American Standard Bible. Yep. Um, and, and RSV. Yeah, uh, RSV. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's yeah, mentioned RSV. here. RSV yep. is one. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. I, I like to look at it as more like a spectrum. Like on one side, if you imagine, like on the left side, that's the that's the more formal equivalent, and then you move toward um, as you're about to start mentioning the thought for thought mm-hmm. or the um, or the dynamic, dynamic equivalents. Mm-hmm, yep. di- dynamic mm-hmm. equivalents. And, and, and those... Man, this is a fun conversation. Yeah, good. <laughs> I know. And that's where you get the, the um, new international version there. That's yep. kind of the most popular one right there. Yep. And then you have um, the, the other side of the spectrum, which would be paraphrases. Paraphrases. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like the message or right. uh, the, the living Bible. Those yeah. are the two most popular uh, uh-huh. in there. So anyways, yeah, I, yep. I interrupted, but... No, I just want, no yeah. that's great. I, I think you, you hit it. Uh, I wouldn't add much to that. The only thing I'd, I'd add is, you know, I... I, I, this is all preference because I would say, hey, if you have an NIV, <laughs> fantastic. If you have an NIV, King yeah. James, ESV, RSV, yep. Um, yep. Uh, and and even on on if you think about again on the spectrum, like the, the New Living Translation is still a, um, um, a, a you know thought for thought translation, yeah. yep. and so I mean like it, those are all great translations. Totally, very faithful. Yep. Yep. And the only reason I actually prefer the ESV, uh, that's what I preach from. Um, that's what we preach from, really, as a church. Uh, and then um, read from just in my personal devotions is because they retain a lot of the theological verbiage that I think is closest to the Greek meaning mm-hmm. or Hebrew meaning. So, for instance, like there are dense theological words that you'll see when you're reading the ESV. You'll see words like propitiation. Yeah, they kept it. Yeah, whereas mm-hmm. the NIV will, again, because it's thought for thought, they're just trying to get the the general sense of what it means, and they'll translate that to like atonement mm-hmm. or being made right with God. All of those, okay, that's great. The, the essence is there. I like the more theological richness, uh, and I think it's actually the teacher's job mm-hmm. to teach what those terms mean. Yeah. Rather than uh, the translator trying to do the the work to convey the meaning, 
to the reader. So, but that's just personal. Um, it's a riveting question. This is just yeah. <laughs> hey, I have times where I really love and and appreciate the New King James version. Yeah, like I've yeah, I've read right. through that a couple times, and yeah. I thought, man, this is just this is just great. I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the work. And then there's times like when I'm doing study where I feel like I really have to look at the um, yep. New American Standard Bible. Yeah, like I have to. It's 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 imperative because I got to see like yeah. uh, how um, wooden that is, and and that helps me gain a better understanding. Totally. And totally. Uh, yep. I would caution though. Uh, if can I just add yeah. a little caution? Caution, I would, caution away. I would caution against, and I, I'm not completely against, and I don't think it's, you know, um, totally wrong or sinful, but I would caution against um, paraphrases. Um, that it, the, Paraphrases are, are where I most often find um, just... There's a lot of liberty taken. There's a lot of liberty taken in, yeah. in the translation, but then, and it, it, the liberty taken sometimes is um, some... <laughs> what seems to be insertion of theological um, yeah, that's right. uh, yeah. ideas to try to help smooth it out and make it, make it make sense. Yeah. And, um, and then, so then, then it's kind of telling you what to think rather than, mm-hmm. than what's just simply being said. Yep. Um, yeah, so, agreed. So I would, I'd caution against those. So, yeah. but um, again, it's not a sin to, to use those no. and, and to, no. to look at those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yep. Oh man. That's a good question. Yep. Yeah. That is a good question. So uh, next question is being made in God's image our spiritual self, um, spiritual slash self, uh, um, or hyphen self, mm-hmm. similar in orders of angels, seraphim, cherubim, etc., but now hidden and broken by sinful physical bodies and minds. So, um, I think I think what's I think the questions that might be being asked here are uh, perhaps twofold. If I were to try to sum sum up, and I I, I hope I'm not butchering this, but I think the first question is if i maybe simplify that a little more is um has the image of god been tainted um yes okay yeah yeah Yeah. not completely um and we're going to actually talk about this on the next season because we're going to dive into the doctrine of sin that'll be the first doctrine that we go over in the next uh season of simply disciples but um the answer is yes so it's not completely destroyed the image of god is still present in all people but it has definitely been tainted it's been distorted it's been affected by sin and because of that we are not what we once were. Uh, we're not our our souls. Our God's image in us uh, has been marred by sin. So we are not exactly like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but nonetheless, that doesn't mean the image has been completely destroyed. Right. So I actually think about this: the, the fact that this is a great question in light of the attributes of God. Totally. And, um, yeah. The communicable, communicable right. uh, attributes. Yep. Um, and thinking about like, oh yeah, you know, we were created with um, uh, attributes that we do share with God, uh-huh. and but we do talk about the fact that we have actually been marred in that sense, mm-hmm. and we cannot, we cannot perfectly carry out justice. Totally, <laughs> right? totally. We yeah. cannot perfectly um, holiness, you know, holiness, truth. Yeah, yeah all of yeah, all of his right, incommunicable just, attributes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I think the second part, if I, again, um, I think the second part of the question is asking about how our physical bodies relate to that, right? So mm-hmm. maybe a summary of that is, um, and again, I hope I'm not butchering this. So if you're the question, um, asker, please come to me and say, Aaron, that's, that not, was, what I was saying. that's not what I'm saying or, <laughs> right. or, or asking or, or yes, that was Nate or whatever, you know, if you have a problem with how I'm dividing this up, um, please let me know. But, uh, so Perhaps the second half of that is have our physical bodies um, become then bad? Are physical bodies mm. um, evil because of that? Yeah, the answer is no. Uh, 
yes, they're, they're subject to sin, but our bodies aren't our problem. So God is not holding us, uh, he's not holding us under his condemnation or under his wrath because we have bodies, right? Bodies are good. God created bodies. We're going to have new bodies, uh, or we're going to have our bodies renewed and perfected in the new heavens and the new earth. So we don't need to escape our bodies. Um, and you know, it's good to affirm, yeah, our bodies are things that God created that we'll always have. So they're not the problem. Sin is the problem. And that's what needs to be removed. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that, uh, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, just because um, we do have a question on here that I think is very much related um, okay. to that. And, yeah. it's, and it's asking the question of the problem of sin. Um, so basically uh, the question is, is the problem of sin only when we act on mm. it? Or is it the thought of sin? So essentially, right, is it is it more than just, just us acting? Um or, uh, or is it just simply the action of sin? Yeah. So, uh, God created all of us. He didn't just create us as, uh, actions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We are creatures that have thoughts, minds, desires, affections, uh, as well as, uh, we are creatures who act. I think where we get in trouble is when we do start saying, hey, it's only the things that we act on that are the problem. So, for instance, it's only the act of adultery, not the thought of it, that's a sin. It's not the uh, act, or it's, it's only the act of murder. It's not the rage and anger in our hearts. I would say... That idea of sin or that distinction where it's saying only acts are sinful is thoroughly unbiblical. Yeah. Um, that is much more uh, an American uh, kind of uh, spiritual understanding where God only holds us accountable for our actions. Mm-hmm. The Bible is clear. God holds us accountable for our thoughts, mm-hmm. for our desires, yep. our affections. That's why when we do a confession of sin, we say God... Merciful, most merciful Father, forgive me for I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, yep. in what I have done, yep. and what I have not done. Yeah, what I've left, what I've undone. left undone. Uh-huh. Yep. Meaning, God has a certain requirement for who He wants us to be mm-hmm. that we fail to live up to. Yep. God wants us to think righteous thoughts all the time, and we don't do that. That's sin. Yeah. Right. Right. Likewise, um, when it comes to our desires, sometimes it can sound very compassionate to people to say, hey, Aaron, you know, I understand you're, you're struggling with, uh, you know, lust, let's say, and I, I feel for you, and that's not sin, you know, to just feel that desire or have that temptation, that's not sin. It's only once you act on that lust. Well, you know, that run, that sounds really nice, but really what that does is that turns Christians into introspective legalists. Yeah. Yep. A legalist says, avoid sin, uh-huh. try not to sin. When you sin, that's really bad and God doesn't like it, all of which are true. But where's mm-hmm. the focus in all of that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, on it's on my actions. Yeah, yeah, what you can and can't do and what oh, you're I, doing. Yeah. I better not do that. I better not sin there. Oh, yeah, I lusted at that that person, but that's not really a sin. Because it's only a sin if I act on it. And you're in constant introspection trying to avoid sin. I'd say the Christian life is way more than that. Christian life, it's way better than that. 
the Christian life says, I am sinful in every part. Yeah. Every part of me, my mind, my will, my heart, my desires, all of it is tainted. I need to repent of all of it. And once I do, I can really experience the freedom of God. You know? This is good because I just heard um, really popular, very, very popular um, radio host um, personality, Dennis Brager, just talk about mm-hmm. the fact that um, he believes that it's not the it's not the thought of lust. It's not the lust living mm-hmm. inside of you that's the sin. It's it's the action of that. Yeah. And um and and like you said, that does sound oh wow, you know, I'm kind of off the hook. But the problem is is yeah. the words of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's the problem. Yeah, that's a and huge problem. And he's Jewish problem. too, so that, that right. kind of makes sense. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, Prager's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so um he has a hard yep. time he'll have a hard time with the 10th commandment though. Do not covet. Right. Right. Um because that's an introspective, yep. that's your heart. It's your heart. It just shows that all of the commandments are spiritual. They go deeper than just the action. Yep. Yeah. And sin, this is what affects us all. This is what Jesus is getting after in the Sermon on the Mount in, in um, totally. Matthew chapter five, when mm-hmm. he talks about, um, yo, you've heard that you shall not murder. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. But uh, then he says, but I tell you that if you uh, if if you um, say that you hate somebody, if you have hate in your heart, mm-hmm. or, if, or if you um, call somebody a fool in some translations, uh, you're liable to the hell of fire. Same thing he says about lust. You've heard it said mm-hmm. that you shall not commit adultery. Okay. Oh, the action of adultery. Well, Jesus drives it further. He said, um, you know, if you look at a woman with lustful intent well you've committed uh mm-hmm. you've committed adultery in your heart there's other places where jesus talks about plucking out your eye and um cutting off yeah. your hand getting to the point that the problem is not your your action your hand it's not, your it's hand. not just your feet yeah. go ahead and cut off <laughs> yeah. your hand good luck with that go yeah. ahead and pluck out your eye good luck yeah. with that well the problem is actually really your heart yeah <laughs> you need heart surgery yeah that's right yeah so that yeah. that's what he's getting at and he's always driving it down further so yeah, good good question. Got time for one more, right? Yeah, we got time for one more. And okay. this final question is, uh, can God speak to us outside of Scripture today? And we talked about mm-hmm. that in a previous episode because we really hammered down and really focused on the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and how important it is to have a healthy view about that and to have a biblical and um, Christian view of uh, Scripture. And so um, this this question actually makes perfect sense in light of what we've discussed. So can God speak to us outside? outside of scripture? Yeah. Um, so the answer to that question is yes, God can. Yeah. We're just talking about a possibility. Yeah. So we emphasize can. Yeah. He can. I think he has chosen to reveal himself most clearly, most distinctly, most authoritatively and solely authoritatively in scripture. Yeah. So for instance, I don't want to necessarily poo-poo every single, you know, uh, instance where somebody had, you know, sense that God was talking to them. I can understand that. I understand where that's coming from. What I would say to that is that um, let's make sure we don't put that on par and on the same level as Scripture. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, if you uh, sense that God is telling you to do something and— Maybe even you, you say you hear an audible voice. I don't necessarily want to discount that experience, but what I definitely want to say is, hey, let's not put that on the same level as Scripture. Mm-hmm. Scripture holds the ultimate uh, source of our faith and practice. Um, it's the only thing that we can look to certainly and say where it speaks clearly. We do those things or we don't do certain things. Um, so that's kind of how I, I'd slice that. Um, I would say... I, in addition to that, it is very extraordinary if God does. It is not ordinary. It's not something that we should expect. Yeah. Um, and then 
also to that, I'd say it's not necessary. Yeah. So that's where I think in our previous episode, we were really trying to drive home is that, well, you know, God really, uh, if somebody said, God really said that I should do X, well, we'd want to say, well, does scripture say that? And if they were to say yes, then I'd say, well, then that voice or that whatever it was is unnecessary because yeah. scripture already speaks clearly to it. Mm-hmm. If it goes beyond scripture, then I'd say, let's not, let's absolutely not treat that as authoritative. And I think to not follow it, you wouldn't be sinning. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And we did discuss uh, in that episode uh, talking about people. We kind of alluded to the fact that there's traditions out there that want to teach you how yeah, to that's right. listen, listen to for the, the voice of voice God. Of God. Yep. And we did caution heavily against that. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it comes down to the to the idea that we want to believe that the, the Bible is authoritative and it is sufficient. It's sufficient. It's enough. It's, it's enough. You don't need anything else. Right. Yep. We, we have the full counsel of God. Yep. In Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that's and, right, and we don't need more. And so, yep. um, that, that's just in, that's important to to just uh, you know reflect on and, and talk about. And, and as you said, just a summary, Daniel talking the difference between um, what's ordinary and what's extraordinary. You mentioned on Sunday in your sermon, you, <laughs> yeah. Hannah loves it when you <laughs> yeah. repeat ordinary right. over and over, over and over again because right. you're just an ordinary man. I'm just an ordinary guy. Yeah, I know yeah. that's great. So, um, <laughs> but but that that is true. We want to be able to distinguish between what is presented in Scripture as ordinary and what is present, presented in Scripture as extraordinary. And and I think Daniel and I, you and I, would both be on this on the same level if we said yes, private hearing the voice of God um, in your heart, God speaking to you uh, uh, on your own is extraordinary. Yeah, extraordinary. And it's not necessarily a practice that um, we would say that needs to be developed or learned. um, Yep. And, uh, but the Bible is definitely sufficient and it's enough and it's what we need. Yep. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Daniel, for uh, fielding these questions. And uh, thank you all for submitting your questions. We really enjoy doing the show, and we love that you are interacting with this and dreaming up questions throughout the season. Uh, This is the end of this episode, and it also concludes our season one. And so we look forward to continuing next season, season two in January 2024. Until then, blessings, and we will see you next year. So glad you're out of prison. (laughs) 